0: Thanks for tuning into the Marlon Benjamin podcast. We believe that God is raising up a generation that's equipped to demonstrate his power to a lost world and we're determined to be a part of that generation. Now here's your host Evangelist Marlon Benjamin What's up everybody and welcome back to What's up guys I'm- oh, stupid mic. what? good Mort. listen here okay listen here what's up everybody and welcome back to the podcast thanks for tuning in today you know after almost two years of doing this i still find it very weird to record podcasts i don't know why it's just every time i do it it takes a million takes and then the spirit kicks in and everything goes fine after that but preaching and live and public speaking and all that stuff that's you know that's easier and i got the hang of that i would like to think at least but i mean sitting down recording podcasts this seems to be some type of hurdle but you know what i thank god for the power to overcome every single hurdle even this type of stuff (laughs) But that's how it is with a lot of things. You start doing something and you think it's the hardest thing in the world. But the more you do it, the more you become comfortable with it and the easier it becomes. So that's just how podcasting is like. Now I got an interesting topic to talk about today and I feel like this is going to be very helpful to you. At the time of recording, we're in the month of March and this month actually marks my two-year anniversary in the ministry. So I'm very thankful for that. Because two years ago this time, I was just a Bible college student, not really knowing what I was going to do when I left. And it was my last semester. So that's the time when everybody starts asking you, so what are you going to do after you leave Bible college? You know, I got this opportunity to be a youth pastor at this church. or I got this opportunity to do this and that in ministry. And I was over here sitting here like, you know, I'm just following the Lord's leading, you know, wherever he leads, I'll follow. Amen. And in naturally, I had no opportunities, no nothing, not even a clue of where I was going to go. And on top of that, I went home for spring break and never ended up coming back because that's when the pandemic hit. So now I'm at home. I didn't have any opportunities before, and I had no idea what I was going to do before. Now you're telling me that I can't go back to school And honestly, for a second, I was just ready to like, just throw in the towel and go get a job at McDonald's and just write this ministry thing off. But I remember sitting in church the night before I was supposed to leave to go back to school. And it was a Sunday night. And while in church, we got an email from our school saying that, yeah, school's canceled. You guys ain't coming back at the time what we thought was going to be for two weeks ended up not being two weeks. And I was sitting in church and I was annoyed, you know, because I was like, you know, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go now? Now I can't even go back to school and finish my studies and all that stuff. And long story short, that night, right after I got that email, that's when I got my first opportunity in the ministry. So, literally within a couple minutes, I went from not having any idea what I was going to do to getting my first opportunity. And the opportunity may have looked very insignificant to a lot of people, it was literally just. I got called out in the middle of a church service to pray. That was it. And I wasn't expecting it at all. And I felt as unanointed as anybody could be. (laughs) Extremely unanointed. I was just a school student. Didn't feel anointed at all. And here I am now in the middle of a church service with a couple thousand people. Getting a mic put in my hand to pray. And I did not feel prepared at all. But the minute that mic went into my hand, it was like something just came over me. And I prayed, and the power of God hit that place. And because of that, that opened up another opportunity to me that carried me from March 2020 to August 2021. And then from there, I launched out into full time ministry and starting this ministry. So I haven't even hit the end. Of what God has called me to do. In all honesty. I don't even think I've even hit the beginning good. (laughs) Of what God has called me to do. But you know what? I thank God for those beginnings. And I know that he took care of me then. And he opened up doors for me then. Because I was was faithful in pursuing that call. And I know he's going to continue to do that. From this point forward. So I thank God for that. But as I'm getting ready to hit the two-year anniversary of being in ministry, I like to think and ponder over the last two years. And when getting ready to record this podcast, I thought about one of the biggest hurdles I had to cross in the past two years. One of the biggest things I had to deal with in the past two years. And it will actually help you even if you're not in the ministry, because It's something that anybody who wants to launch out and do something that is not normal will experience. If you plan on doing something that goes against the grain, then you're going to 100% experience this. If that's launching out into the ministry at an unfavorable time like myself, like I launched out into the ministry in March, 2020, March, 2020, the worst time to say that you're going into the ministry and you ain't going to get a job at Starbucks or McDonald's or Walmart or something like that. No, I said I was going to pursue what God called me to do in the middle of a pandemic. And you know what the biggest issue I faced and the biggest hurdle I had to cross when doing that in the past two years? Intimidation. Intimidation? I thought you was going to say like witchcraft or something like that. No. No. Intimidation and some people may think, oh, yeah, you know, that's so small and that's so igni- insignificant. But you know what? Giving into intimidation is what causes a lot of people to back off of what God has called them to do. And that's why you have in the book of Second Timothy how Paul told Timothy, he told him, he said, Listen, God hadn't given you a spirit of fear, but he gave you a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind because he knew that he would face that in the ministry things and people and mindsets and words that people have said that would cause you to back off and become timid. But guess what? God did not give him that spirit. And God didn't give any of his children a spirit of fear. So you can be sure that when you launch out and you do the thing that God has called you to do, you don't have to give into fear. You don't have to give into the opinions of people. But you can do it with absolutely no fear. And let that be a guide for your life. Anything that causes you to become timid and puts fear inside of you is not of God. Anything that puts any fear other than the fear of God inside of you is not of God. If you're launching out and you're launching into the ministry and somebody tells you, oh, there's no money in the ministry or what are you doing? It's an unfavorable time. And... And then you start to think that you're going to be in the ministry and not have any money and not be able to pay your bills. That's not of God. That's of the enemy. Okay, because it invokes fear. It caused you to be timid. And now it's causing you to back off of the thing that God had called you to do. That's not of God. And the enemy will try to use that. As I'm going to read to you in a little bit. You see that in the life of Nehemiah. The enemy tried to use intimidation tactics to get him to stop building the wall that he knew he was supposed to build and if you can get over intimidation and you can jump over that hurdle and not be affected by those tactics nobody will be able to stop you in what you're doing nothing will be able to stop you from doing the thing that you know you're supposed to do and it is highly important that every believer does that because you know what Your calling is not just the only thing that's going to be intimidated. The fact that you follow Christ and your faith in Jesus Christ is going to be intimidated. Jesus spoke about it. And let me actually read it. Let's go over to Matthew 24. So just a little bit of context in this passage of scripture. Jesus just left the temple with his disciples and he went to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples asked him, what are the signs of the end time and what are the signs of your return? And Jesus says in verse 3, watch what happens. He says, Later Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us, when will all this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? Verse 4, Jesus told them, Don't let anybody mislead you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They'll deceive many. And you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all this is only the first of birth pains, with more to come. Now watch what he says in verse 9. He is talking about all the signs that will show that his return is near. And that things are getting ready to wrap up in this world. Verse 9, watch what he says. Then you will be arrested persecuted and killed you'll be hated all over the world because you are my followers and many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other and many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people sin will be rampant anywhere and the love of many will grow cold but the one who endures until the end will be saved and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it and then the end will come And we're seeing a lot of this stuff happen already today. We're hearing about the wars and the rumors of wars. All that stuff ramped up. Because a lot of critics of the Bible like to say, well, you know, all that stuff been happening for a long time. So, I mean, that ain't no, you know, that ain't no prophecy. That ain't no news to me that the world is getting ready to end. And that's why Jesus called those things the beginnings of sorrows. He said, when you see those things happening, that will let you know It's like a woman going into labor. Those are the beginnings of birth pains, but there's more coming. And as the chapter goes on, Jesus begins to talk about the Antichrist and the tribulation period and all of that stuff. And all those things that I just read that Jesus prophesied, they have marked human history, but we've never seen them to a degree that we're seeing today. So if we're seeing the beginning of birth pains happen on a scale that we've never seen before, then guess what? If Jesus was right, about what's going to mark the beginning of this thing wrapping up, then guess what? Everything else he prophesied in that chapter is getting ready to happen. And I want to focus on verse 9 for purposes of what we're talking about today. He said in verse 9, he said, Then you'll be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You'll be hated all over the world because you're my followers. Jesus prophesied that there would be a hatred and a heavy persecution of those who follow him you just being a christian is not popular you saying that you follow christ is not popular to the world and we see that happen literally on the public stage every day you can mock christians all you want you can talk about christianity all you want but god forbid you come against another religion you're done cancel culture came against you they done took your head chopped it off and threw it in a ditch but if you talk about Christians and you rip Christianity to shreds, you're perfectly fine and you can get off scotch-free. If you get up and you say, I believe in biblical marriage, everybody's mad at you because Christianity goes against the world. It goes completely against the desires of the world, the agenda of the world, and everything that the enemy stands for. So if you say, I subscribe to What Jesus Christ said, and I'm a follower of Christ, you're gonna get some flack for that. And I think a lot of believers have to understand that if you're a Christian, especially in this last hour of time, you are not going to be liked by everybody. And because this generation tries to get people to, you know, be liked by everybody, to, you know, get in everybody's good books, to be a people pleaser, we try to make Christianity like that too. We try to make Christianity more palatable to the world. You know, we don't want to be controversial. We're trying to build a bridge and build a gap. But can I tell you something? Jesus did not come to build a bridge. Jesus didn't come to build a bridge between the world and between his people. Jesus actually said that. He said, I didn't come to bring peace. I come to bring a sword. And he said, my words that I speak will divide families. The message that Jesus preached would not be popular among the wicked world. The world is so hell-bent against God. So if you decide to follow God, then obviously you're not going to be popular in the eyes of people. And you may lose friends, you may lose family members because of it, but you know what? There is a reward for following God. And I think a lot of people that claim to follow Christ do not fully understand that Christianity is never going to be accepted by the world. And we need to stop trying to make it acceptable in the eyes of the world. God is not calling his people to bring Christ and the standard of Christianity down to the level of the world or the level that the world accepts. He's calling us to make disciples and bring the world up to his standard. And his standard, thank God, is reachable. It's not a standard that nobody can't attain. It's not something he told you to live, but you can't do it. He gives you the power and the strength and the grace to follow his commands and please him. But because the message of the gospel is not going to be accepted of the world, there will be people who will persecute you for it. There'll be people who will come against you for it. Jesus actually said in the book of Matthew chapter 10, he said, the servant is not above their master. He said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you also because you're my followers. So if you are a true Christian and you're following the ways of God, look what happened to Jesus. He ended up getting crucified and ended up, they, they ended up trying to just get this man killed because they couldn't handle his message. And he said, you think you're above that? You're not. So that's why, thank God, in this part of the world, we don't got to deal with crucifixion and, you know, the death penalty and all of that. But, you know, sadly, we forget that those on the other side of the world, even all up into China and the Middle East and Israel and all those places, being a Christian is a crime punishable by death. Y'all remember when ISIS was a thing and they were running rampant. They were out there killing Christians left, right and center. Just because they believed in Christ. And we're over here in North America. And the biggest thing we got to deal with is peer pressure. And we bow to that. Or, you know, we want to be accepted in the eyes of the world. So we don't want to be a victim of cancel culture. So we water down our message so that ain't nobody will come against us. We can't be doing that as believers because the message alone is enough to make people hate you. The fact that you say you follow Christ, that's enough alone to make people hate you. And when you let persecution stop you from following Christ, you just gave into intimidation. Because the enemy uses persecution to try to get you, or the threat of persecution, to try to get you to back off. Or you can't preach that because they're going to put you in jail. Or you can't say that because cancel culture is going to come against you. Or you can't say that because it's not acceptable in the eyes of the world. You just gave into intimidation. That's literally the enemy trying to intimidate you to stop following Christ or to be silent about it or to keep it to yourself. When the world can do whatever they want on the grandiose stage, forward and front, on the front lines, they believe what they believe and they shout it from the rooftops. And they say a big blank you to anybody who has a problem with it. But the minute Christians become unashamed, it's a problem. Can you see that's a tactic of the enemy? Because it works one way, but it doesn't work the other way. Become the type of person that has the grace of God in your heart and has a heart for people to reach them with the gospel, but at the same time will not water down your message for anybody. That's how you have to be as a Christian, especially in this last hour of time. Because Jesus said that's a sign of the beginning of birth pains. That's a sign that things are getting ready to happen and this thing is getting ready to wrap up. So you can't afford to give in to the enemy's tactics to try and intimidate you. You can't afford to be a Christian on the back burner while the world does their stuff on the forefront. You can't afford to give in to that. And let me show you what your response actually has to be. Go to Nehemiah chapter 6. Because Nehemiah encountered this same thing. When he was doing what the Lord called him to do, it wasn't popular in the eyes of the world. And they came against him and they tried to intimidate him. But watch what his response was. So now Nehemiah's in the middle of building this wall in Nehemiah chapter six. And he has people coming against him, specifically these two idiots named Sanballat and It, They were coming against him and they didn't like what he was doing and they felt threatened by what he was doing. So they kept on trying to get him to stop. So in chapter six, watch what happens. Verse four, watch what it says. Four times they sent the same message and each time I gave the same reply. The fifth time Sanballat's servant came with an open letter in his hand and this is what it said. There's a rumor among the surrounding nations and Geshem tells me it's true that you and the Jews are planning to rebel and that is why you're building the wall. According to his reports, you plan to be their king. He also reports that you have anointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim about you. Look, there's a king in Judah. You can be very sure that this report will get back to the king. So I suggest that you come and talk it over with me. Verse 8. I replied, there is no truth in any part of your story. You're making the whole thing up. They were just trying to intimidate us. Watch verse 9. Imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued the work with even greater determination. You see what happens there in verse 9. So, Sandballet comes with a message and says, you're actually trying to build this wall because you're trying to commit treason. And you're trying to go against the king and start your own kingdom. And you can be sure that this message is going to get to the king and there's going to be consequences. So, I suggest you come off of building the wall and come talk to me about it so, you know, we can deal with this. And Nehemiah is not an idiot. Nehemiah knew this guy was lying, trying to stop the work. So in verse 9, he says that tactic that he used was just trying to intimidate us. Imagining that they could discourage us to stop the work. So I continued the work with an even greater determination. So when that happened to him, he knew that it was a tactic to get them to stop. What was his response though? Or you know, I came off the wall and stopped the project for the next three months to go talk to him and just to let them know that I'm not actually trying to commit treason. No, he said, I continued with an even greater determination. And that's how you have to be, whether it be in your calling or just in general in your walk with God. The world has very messed up views about Christianity. The world thinks we're a bunch of crazy bigots that just go to church every single Sunday, babble all day long, and roll around the floor, and we promote hate speech. You know that ain't true, but you can't worry about what the world thinks about your God. You can't sit here and stop doing what you're doing to try talk people out of the mindset they have about Christianity. Let them call you a bigot. Let them call you people haters. Let them call you whatever they want. Let them call you crazy. People that already made up their mind and are operating under an evil spirit. It is not your job to try to reform them because then you waste time doing what you're supposed to do. And he knew that it was a tactic to get them to stop. So he said, hey, you know what? I ain't going to stop. I'm going to continue with an even greater determination. And that's what you have to do. When the enemy tries to intimidate you, you got to turn back around and tell him to shut up, not business with him, and continue your work with an even greater determination. Anytime the enemy tries to use intimidation to pull you off of the track you're supposed to be on, don't give into it anytime he tries to make you fearful and back off of what you know you're supposed to be doing it is a tactic and it is a plan to get you to completely stop doing what you're supposed to be doing and when you back off you waste time and as i said earlier we in north america ought to thank god because you we don't have to deal with death penalties we don't have to you know hold our faith in the face of death. And there are people on the other side of the world that can get killed for their Christianity and for their belief in God. And they're just like, I ain't I ain't giving in. I ain't giving in to the pressure. Because I always say when I preach, when you die, you ain't standing before your president. You ain't standing before the prime minister. You ain't standing before the media. So why do you live your life trying to please these people as a believer? Oh, you know, it's just so hard and the world is so, you know, so corrupt and so messed up. So, you know, I don't want to ruffle any feathers because, you know, I don't want to use my 501c3 status as a ministry. But when you leave this earth and you stand before God, you're going to be greatly ashamed. And you realize that all these people you've been living your whole life to please, they're not even your judge. They're not some, but they're not people you're accountable to. And the one person that you're accountable to, you're trying to back off of that to try to please other people. Don't do that. It's a tactic from the enemy to cause you to stop doing what God has called you to do. And when you start to see things like that, you're able to jump over the hurdle of intimidation. I'm not standing before any of these people that I'm trying to please, I'm not accountable to any of these people that I'm trying to please. So come what may, they may attack you, but God will always vindicate you. And that sounds, oh my gosh, that sounds so much, that sounds so cliche. And I just cringe saying that because, you know, all them preachers that get on TV and they're like, eh, you know, men may come against you, but God will vindicate you. He gonna prepare a table in the presence of your enemies. But as cliche as it sounds, as cliche as it sounds is true. When you stand for Christ, you never standing alone. When you stand for God, he'll stand for you. Look what happened to the three Hebrew boys. They stood for God in the face of getting thrown into a fiery furnace. They was going to get the crap burnt out of them. But you know what? They still stood for God. And even in the face of that, what happened? God put them in the fire and let them burn. But you know, on the other side of eternity, they got blessed. Hallelujah. Praise you. No. God showed up right in the fire with them and snatched them right out. Unharmed. So just know that God is never going to tell you to stand for him and not vindicate you. Well, what about those who died? They're getting a martyr's crown in heaven. They're getting a reward that ain't nobody else going to get because they died believing in Christ and they died for their faith. And God rewards that. And look what happened even in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 12, when Peter got arrested. Look what happened. Herod Agrippa arrested him and put him in prison, in maximum security prison, and was ready to kill him the next day, probably. And that night, he was in prison, and he was sitting, watch this, he was sleeping in between two guards. They put a guard on his right side and a guard on his left side, because they made, they wanted to make sure that he, well, he didn't escape, and they bounded him with chains. And an angel walked into the prison in the middle of the night and broke the chains off him and said, get up, let's go. And the soldiers didn't even know. And he came out, the angel busted him out of prison and saved him from getting tried and killed. And God struck Agrippa dead the next day or after that. So God will always vindicate his people when they stand for him. So you don't have to worry about being alone and being by yourself and taking the heat. No, 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 no. You stand for Christ. He sees that and he will step in. So going over to John chapter 12, Jesus was preaching and watch what he said in verse 25. He said, those who love their life in this world will lose it. But those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am and the father will honor anyone who serves me. So that drives home my point right there. He said, anybody who wants to serve me must follow me because they must be where I am. But my father will honor those who serve me. He's not leaving you alone. He's not leaving you by yourself. God sees that and he will honor you for any stand you take for him. So when Jesus was preaching about that, There was a crowd of people. There's two groups of people. There were those who didn't believe in him in this specific situation. There were those who had unbelief and didn't believe it. But the Bible tells you later on in that chapter that there was a second group of people that believed, but they would not admit it because they didn't want the Pharisees to throw them out the fellowship. And they didn't want to look bad in the eyes of the Jewish leaders. That's it. Watch what it said in verse 41. Isaiah was referring to Jesus when he said this because he saw the future and spoke of the Messiah's glory. Many people did believe in him, verse 42, however, including some of the Jewish leaders. But they wouldn't admit it for fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than the praise of God. And that's what this is all rooted in. People who give in to these tactics of intimidation and try to water down the gospel to be more palatable for the world and bring the gospel down to the standard of men, they love human praise more than the praise of God. They want to be people-pleasers, and they want to please people more than they want to please God. Because if you wanted to please God more than people, you would follow God. But people want to look good and look all right in the eyes of the world and not stir up any trouble with the world and with world leaders and with the media or anybody like that. So they do everything to try to please them. But you know what? That makes you somebody who loves human praise rather than the praise of God. And you may be acceptable in the eyes of the world, but you're not acceptable in the eyes of God. And when you stand before him, what are you going to say? We can't be people like that. I don't have to be a person like that. And you definitely don't have to be a person like that. You can be somebody who is honorable in the sight of God. So going down in that chapter, some people that were standing there listening to his message wouldn't admit it because they love the praise of humans rather than the praise of God. So Jesus, in response to that, watch what he says. Verse 44, Jesus shouted to the crowds, If you trust me, you are trusting not only in me, but also God who sent me. For when you see me, you are seeing the one who sent me. I have come as a light to shine in this dark world, so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. I will not judge those who hear me, but don't obey me. For I have come to save the world and not judge it. Verse 48, But all who reject me and my message will be judged on the day of judgment by the truth I have spoken. So Jesus said, all right, y'all sitting down there loving the praise of men rather than the praise of God. But when you accept my message, you're accepting also the God who sent me. And if you're ashamed of me and you don't put your trust in me and you reject my message, you're going to be judged on the day of judgment. By the truth I have spoken. You're going to be judged for that. So when you water down the gospel and when you try to make the gospel acceptable to the world and make yourself and make your Christianity, you know, good in the eyes of the world, when you stand before God, you're going to be judged by that. Not judged by the world, not judged by anybody else, but by the truth that Jesus has spoken. And if I'm going to be judged by that, I would want to live my life in a way that would be pleasing unto God. I want to live my life in a way that's going to bring glory to God and make God please with me. Because I didn't try to follow the world's way of things. I didn't try to bring God down to the human level, but I tried to bring humans up to God's level. This is what we have to understand as believers, that when we don't give into to intimidation, when we don't give in to the enemy's tactics to try to get us to back off, we are doing good in the eyes of God, and God will honor us for that. And we, can, and we won't stand before God on the day of judgment ashamed that we didn't follow Him. But we can stand before God knowing that we did what was right. We followed His commands, and therefore we'll receive a reward. And that was something I had to, you know, that was something I had to deal with in these past two years. Because when you make unconventional moves that people don't understand, or if you launch out into the ministry, especially during a time like I did, people will try to intimidate you. People will say, oh, you need to do this, or you need to do that. You know, actually, I think it would be better if you do this. And some people go as far as saying, you know, God ain't called you to do that. You know, you're out of order for launching out in the ministry. But you know what? I didn't give in to that. Because if I did it, I would have been disobeying what God had called me to do. And thank God for people and thank God for wise counsel. But God has called each and every one of us to do a specific thing. And we can't conduct our lives in a way to be pleasing in the eyes of human when we're not pleasing to God. So as you're fulfilling your purpose like Nehemiah, or you're living as a believer in this last and crazy day... Understand that you will never stand alone when you stand for God. Every time you stand for God, He'll stand for you. And even in the eyes of persecution, you can be sure that any stand you take for God, God will honor that. You'll never be left alone. You'll never be left by yourself. And when you stand before God, you'll be greatly honored and not greatly ashamed. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. To stay connected, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and online at marlinbenjamin.net. If you would also like to support the podcast or stand with us as we begin to take the gospel to this generation, go to marlinbenjamin.net and click Give Now. God blesses those who support His kingdom, and we're believing that you won't be an exception.